0: Welcome, everyone, to episode 20 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, I know you had a busy weekend this weekend with your undergraduate mock trial team that you coach. How was the tournament that your teams competed in? Well, I
1: just want to give a shout-out to uh, to my teams, to my assistant coaches, to everyone who, uh, who made our tournament run, because we actually hosted the tournament. Um this weekend and we you know we're a student run program for the most part like you know coaches even the coaches like myself my assistant coaches were all law students um so it, pulling together a, a mock trial tournament and getting judges getting people to help out with logistical stuff um it's not it's not easy for people in our capacity um and, uh, you know, so the fact that we were able to pull it off is, is kind of amazing to me. So sh- shout out to everyone who was involved logistically because the tournament actually went really well. And it also went really well for our teams. We, uh, we had two teams competing uh, from Wake Forest, and uh, one of our teams came out at 5-3 and three and finished in second place, or third place, excuse me. Um, and our other team came out at 4-4, four and four, so neither team had a losing record, um, which is great for a lot of kids who... I say kids, but a lot of students uh, who have never uh, done mock trial before. A lot of them a lot of them are new to, to mock trial and new to the program. So um, it was really awesome to see the progress that they've made even this early in the season. I mean this is just our first tournament. Um, but of course we'll be we'll be going to, to many more
0: and I think the future is bright based on this. Awesome. And I, I hopefully my, my contract extension is coming soon. You know, uh, as as is would be relevant for today's podcast, I, I must contractually ask you: Have any stars been born on your mock trial team for this weekend?
1: <laughs> yeah, actually, I think I think a few have. I don't know if they're going to be uh, Lady Gaga level stars or should I say Alley level stars, um, but. Uh, you know w- we will see hopefully the story hopefully the uh the story ha- has a little bit of a different trajectory than the movie
0: yeah particularly i suppose because i think you would have to be jackson Maine in the situation which would not be a good thing
1: yeah that that is that is very true i got, i have some facial hair right now but i think i'm gonna need to grow it out a lot more if i uh, if i'm gonna get to bradley cooper's level in this movie
0: yeah, but before you know it, though, you could be you could be selling out arenas for people to listen to you give closing arguments or something like that. <laughs> that, that would be the ultimate dream right there, to have people just moshing
1: as I'm giving, a, you know, a Anthony Hopkins closing from Amistad.
0: Well, maybe one day, but I don't know if that's the direction your life is taking you. Probably not. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, in a little bit, we're going to be discussing a few recent releases, including Venom and Assassination Nation. But first, on the podcast today, we're going to be discussing in-depth the Bradley Cooper directed remake of A Star is Born, starring, well, of course, Bradley Cooper as the male lead, Jackson Maine, a country rock star who might just be over the hump of his fame and stardom, uh, alongside Lady Gaga, his female counterpart, or Allie in the film, who Jackson serendipitously hears perform and later meets at a local drag bar he stops to get a drink at after one of his sold-out concerts. Uh, the two instantly hit it off, Scott, and after an all-night adventure that includes a bar fight and a grocery store parking lot, Jackson invites Ally to be his VIP guest at his next concert, and what follows is a whirlwind of success and stardom for Ally, mirrored only by the decline of Jackson, as his past and present gradually catch up to him. The film co-stars Sam Elliott as Jackson's significantly older brother and manager, Bobby, as well as Andrew Dice Clay and Dave Chappelle as Ally's father and Jackson's closest friend, respectively. Scott, critics are calling this one of the best films of 2018 so far, and even hailing Lady Gaga's performance as a mark of the true scope of her ambition beyond singing and songwriting. Do you agree?
1: Uh, for the most part, yes. Um, you know, this is one of those movies where it's just been totally inescapable over the past—it seems like dozens of months, but I guess just a few months. But honestly, if you if you haven't heard about this movie, if you haven't seen the trailer yet, you probably don't know the TV. You probably haven't been to the movies because the trailer has been literally everywhere. Um, and you know, I'm someone who, ever since I saw the trailer for this movie, what got pretty was was pretty excited about it. Um, you know, I think I think the trailer, the reason the trailer's been so ubiquitous is because it's a really good trailer. And it, it uh, really sets up the movie very well and, and uh, sets up Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga as, you know, in potential star-making roles. And, you know, it's got music, it's got romance, it's got all the things people love. So um, I understand why the trailer has been so ubiquitous. And I think that, for the most part, this movie lives up to the enormous hype that it's getting. Um, I think, you know... I've A few people have asked me what I thought about it, and I've said that I think I admire the movie more so than I love the movie. Um, And I think some of that is is just to do with, you know, some of the themes of the movie. And we'll we'll get into spoilers uh, a little later on, but it's you know, it's not a movie that I want to watch again for a while. It's it's a very emotionally taxing experience watching this movie, and I mean that in a good way because this movie makes you feel everything. I mean. It's not really clear how much time passes throughout the movie, but time does pass, and you feel the time passing. And you feel these characters, the time passing for these characters and and the way that these characters are changing, and, you know, you feel like you're changing along with them. Um, So it is one of those movies when the final credits roll, you're sitting there kind of just totally drained. So I think when I say that I admire the movie more than I love it, that's that's probably what I mean, because I wasn't walking out of the theater like oh my gosh, that was, you know, it's the greatest thing ever. Like, I, I love it, my heart is so full. Um, but, you know, I, like I said, I admire it because this movie is extremely, extremely well made. Uh, I think the script is very impressive. You know, obviously this is a story which has been told um, many times. This is the fourth version of this movie to come to the screen. Um, and I think that, you know, maybe early on in the film, some of the scenes were, were feeling very familiar to me. Um, you know, even down to we have the scene in a bar where, you know, when he first discovers Lady Gaga, when Bradley Cooper's character first discovers Lady Gaga, he goes into a drag bar and he's sitting there and he's, you know, drinking and, and watching her perform. And it's exactly like the scene. And I, you know, this probably isn't even a movie that they inspired it because it's a recent movie. But it just made me think exactly of the movie begin again um, with Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley. Exactly, literally exact same scene with Mark Ruffalo. He's this alcoholic music producer, walks into a bar, sits down, you know, he's at his he's at his wits end, gets a drink, and sees Keira Knightley get up on stage and sing. And, like, then the two of them go on a magical odyssey together. Um, and, the, you know, so it, the setup is, is something that we've seen before. Um, you know, Crazy Heart, obviously, is another movie that, uh, particularly the Bradley Cooper particularly Bradley Cooper and the Bradley Cooper character is drawing heavily on Jeff Bridges' character in that movie I think and you, know, you can point to a lot of other examples but I think that the movie is just so well done it, I mean it, even though it is a familiar story they render that familiar story in such a powerful and captivating way um, with the performances, with the music with the cinematography which I think is really great um, so I think that from a filmmaking standpoint, this is a really, really, really oppressive debut for Bradley Cooper. And even though I may not have been overwhelmed, um, with like love for the movie as I was walking out of it, I think absolutely everyone should see it and everyone should see it in theaters.
0: Yeah. I, so I, unlike you kind of almost came into it opposite. So I, yeah, I know I'm in the trailer. I know. It wasn't even that I wasn't feeling the trailer. I I just don't love Bradley Cooper that much. I actually find him to be a pretty, like, samey actor in all the movies that I see him in. I feel like he plays the exact same role with the exact same intonation of his voice and line. I just don't feel like he changes that much from movie to movie. And I'm not saying that actors have to put on different personas for every movie they're in. But I just really get a particular sense of him being the exact same in every movie. Sure. And we'll get into this more when we talk about Bradley Cooper's performance more in depth. But I think that somehow Bradley Cooper, I think, knows this about himself, and that he might come off this way, and he leverages that in this movie almost. I, I think that the kind of character that he plays in every movie, I mean, partially because he's directing, partially because he's also you know helping write this movie, is exactly the role he writes and inscribes for himself and directs himself into. And I think that. You know, We've talked about this kind of ongoing theme in the industry. I think you mentioned Anne Hathaway was an example of this from Ocean's 8, and maybe even Anna Kendrick in a simple favor. But I think Bradley Cooper here is another example of someone who recognizes the kind of actor they are and leverages that to get the most out of it in this movie. And I don't know if that's something that, that you sensed at all. I know that we maybe feel quite differently about Bradley Cooper, but that's what I had a sense of. And and I think what that meant, and and considering Bradley Cooper was who I had the most skepticism about going into this movie and the fact that he impressed me so much in this movie, both from an acting and a directing role, uh, you know, that being blowing my expectations out, Lady Gaga being incredible, you know, the, the story being incredibly compelling and, you know, even at sometimes quite moving and, and then the music on top of it. I mean, th- this movie hits a lot of high notes and, you know, pun intended.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as far as your comments go about Bradley Cooper, I don't know that I necessarily disagree with you. Like, I don't think he's not someone who has really blown me away in any movies. I don't think that his performances, you know, if there are if there are critics out there saying that. Oh, you know, he Bradley Cooper blew me away in this movie. Like, I don't know that that necessarily resonates with me. I don't, I don't know if he's really that type of actor though either. But I mean, I have enjoyed some of his movies. Like, particularly *Silver Linings Playbook* is a movie that I really love, and mm-hmm. I think that he does give a great performance in it. And I, and I would say that that I think it is different from some of his other performances.
0: Um, I think that's the. I, I agree. I think that's the one exception to it. I think that he yeah. plays a, he at least plays some like different type of himself in that movie. Whereas yes. like in American Hustle, like Limitless... American Sniper. American yeah. Sniper. It just feels like he's putting in the same performance movie after movie. And even though I also think that this this performance is similar to those roles, he just really leans so hard into it and makes it so that when he does act the way that he does and when he puts in the performance that he does, it fits perfectly. Yeah, I think, I think
1: that's a good way to describe it. I think that while well, he hasn't blown me away, like I said, while some of his performances do feel samey, I think he he, he performs to the role that he is given. And I think that mm-hmm. I can say the same about this movie. Like, I don't think that his performance is the standout performance. Oh, God. No. Um, I, don't, I don't think that that's a, that's a hot take at all. But, um, but I do think that he certainly you know, amplifies the movie. He takes it to a place where it might not have been with the worst actor. Um, So I think he has to be committed for that. But like you rightfully said, I think what this movie shows off is that maybe his real strength, even though he is a very capable actor, is
0: behind the camera. Oh, absolutely. Um, That's literally the first thing I thought of. I mean, okay, after I thought about how good Lady Gaga was walking into the theater, the first thing I thought was like, wow, I really hope that Bradley Cooper starts directing more and acting less. Absolutely. Maybe it's like the Ben Affleck
1: thing. I think a lot of people would say the same about Ben Affleck, that he's a better director than he is an actor, though he is, of course, uh, a very capable actor as well. Um, so so I, I, I appreciate Bradley Cooper. Um, not only as an actor, or not only as a director for this movie, but I also appreciate what he does as an actor, even though it might not be the knock-your-socks-off performance um, that you know we we might get from some actors. Yeah. But I don't think that, that the role necessarily calls
0: for that. I agree. And before we kind of drill down any more into these, these acting performances, uh, I mean, we've already started talking about Bradley Cooper, but then Lady Gaga as well, I would like to zoom out and talk a little bit about the movie as a whole. Even, you know, we've started talking about Bradley Cooper's direction of the movie. I think that's Something worth talking a little bit more about the music, you know, the high level uh, assessment of what this movie is. I'd really love to to take a few minutes and talk about that.
1: Sure. So, just kind of to tie the two things in, because one of the areas where I felt that Bradley Cooper's direction, like, really did show itself off, uh, show how good it was, was in these concert scenes and in scenes with musical performances. I mean, these are the best concert scenes that I've seen in a movie since Almost Famous and when, I mean, the first scene of this movie when Bradley Cooper comes out on stage in front of this huge crowd of people and you know, open-air arena, and just starts ripping into this song, I was like, "heck yeah!" In the audience, uh, yeah. it, I mean, it, it, it makes you feel—they're so immersive. Like you really do feel like you're right there. Um, and and he uses well, the the cinematographer who I I, I looked him up. His name is uh, Matthew Levitik. Yep. Um, he he. Um, he, he uses a very judicious amount of close-ups in this movie, which I think is very good, mm-hmm. um, especially in these concert scenes. I think you're, you're requiring the actors to say a lot with their faces as they're performing um, and say a lot about what they're emotionally feeling as they're performing, um, so I think that the use of close-ups is good, and particularly in these concert scenes, and I think that, you know, it helps that the songs are, for the most part, really good. Um, I think that uh, obviously the one which everyone is kind of making the noise about and which uh, a lot of people probably will have heard, it's in the trailer. It's the one people are saying, oh, this is going to be the Oscar nominee, uh, is the song Shallow, which in the movie is the it's the first song that uh, Lady Gaga writes. Or the, the first song that, that he performed, that rally Cooper performs, he performs after, you know, she performs a bit of it for him in a in the grocery store parking lot. And mm-hmm. he says, wow, this song's amazing. Decides to perform it and says, I want to bring you out on stage to perform this with me. And, and you know, a really captivating scene. Um, he sings the first verse and then she timidly walks out and, you know, in that incredible Lady Gaga voice just... Belts out the, the second verse and the bridge mm-hmm. of the song, and it's it's an amazing scene. and, and Bradley Cooper's direction in the scene is really good. Um, and but there are other songs too, which to me might even be might even be stronger. Um, mm-hmm. So we have the song which Bradley Cooper is. It, it, I think it's supposed to meant to be kind of Jackson Maine's hit song that he sings at a couple times throughout the movie. I can't the name of it is escaping me at the moment. Um, But then we also have a song, which probably my favorite is a song called I'll Always Remember Us This Way, that Lady Gaga sings at the piano at one of the later concerts when she and Jackson Maine are still touring together. Um, And and Bradley Cooper, he's kind of like, well, I love this. This is my favorite song of yours. Will you come play it? And she sits at the piano and sings it. And it's just awesome. Uh, So to me, those are the moments where Bradley Cooper's direction really shines because you know we've seen the story we've seen this sort of uh, romance relationship drama play out before Um, maybe not in the exact same way maybe not in such a powerful way but I think that the the concert scenes the musical performance scenes give uh, Bradley Cooper a chance to show off his eye for direction and I think he does a very good job of that.
0: Yeah I mean I feel like I can only echo those sentiments the Matthew Libatique who had a very good weekend, having done also the cinematography for Venom? Um, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, uh, he. I thought his exactly the way you described the close-ups, particularly in these concert scenes. They really put you right there. They're almost. I mean, they really evoke emotions in you. You know, whether they're the highs of the like, opening rock song that you talked about, uh, or the kind of soft, uh, more intimate sounds of "Shallow" or "Always Remember Us This Way." what you described, I, I think that, that he not only does, it, are the songs good, but they are amplified, to use a word that you've used already, not only by Bradley Cooper, but by the cinematography of Matthew Libatique. and, you know, I also looked up the cinematographer before we got on here and noticed that he'd done a lot of Darren Aronofsky, and I, and I kind of see the similarities in some of the other other work that he's done, and it, it just really fit the tone of this movie, extremely well you know i don't know if the cinematography will, will get a, a nod at the oscars or an award season at all uh I, mean, I, I suspect this movie's going to get a lot of oscar nominations but uh I, I think the cinematography definitely amplifies again to use that word the experience that you're having in the movie theater which to reiterate something that you mentioned when when you know we started talking along this along this line of discussion is that you know this is a movie worth seeing in movie theaters. I know that I'm not sure if this is if it's in IMAX or not. I think it might be, but if you can, like the music is of such a good quality and such a visceral part of the experience that you know, if you can spring the extra five bucks for the premium format, uh, it's totally worth it. I would
1: agree with that, and I think while we're talking about the movie at a high level, I, I do want to touch on something that that maybe my main problem with the movie, or the the main thing that's stopping me from just gushing about it, okay. um, which I think is one of the one of the themes that the movie tries to take on in the second half that I think doesn't really flesh out very well, Mm -hmm. sort of with the pop music industry. Um, And there's sort of an industry critique hidden in here because as Lady Gaga becomes more popular, um, you know, her music starts to sound more generic. Like, you know, the the most prominent example in the movie is the SNL scene where she performs Mm -hmm. this song as just kind of a crude song um, and, you know, very... I mean, I'll be honest. It wasn't. A, it's a bad song. Like, and I almost wonder if they did that on purpose. Like, oh, I think. It, I think they, they do. Yeah, because then, of course, we get this really kind of awful fight scene between the two of them, between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, where he's, you know, criticizing the song and saying that it's just, you know, garbage lyrics and it's ugly. He's way more talented and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but I just don't think that the movie. I don't know. The movie doesn't do enough with that for me. Like, I think. It, 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 uh, for one thing like you know th- we have this scene with the, th- where they fight about it but then the next scene it's like he goes he stops drinking for a few days he goes and finds her and they like kind of make up and it's like well we're kind of done with that and, and I, I don't know I would have liked to see it go further with that and furthermore I just don't think it was really that consistent with Lady Gaga's character like the character that w- we get to know throughout the first half of this movie I feel like she wouldn't sell out so easily and, and I think that the, the character of the British producer Rez? is really... Is that his name? Yeah, he's kind of a, I, I, a useless character for me. Like, I think that he doesn't really add anything. Um, and I, yeah, like I said, I just didn't buy that Lady Gaga's character would sell out and do this kind of generic pop music when it's not really what she, you know, aspired to do, what she had been doing with Jackson. So that rang false to me, but that's just my thoughts.
0: Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. I definitely think that the character Rez is definitely the weakest part of the movie, and and by you know by connection, that kind of theme or that plot subplot is the weakest part of the movie. That being said, I don't know if it pulls too many punches on it for a reason that we'll discuss maybe later when we get to the plot, uh, and to to avoid spoilers right now. But I think that it's pretty. It makes a pretty – it feels like it makes a pretty strong statement about where the movie stands on the pop music industry and how you know it, it takes people and turns them into something that they're not and strips – what I think Jackson Maine's character might say is strips the, the life or the soul out of their music, right? And, and, and you know, take, takes takes away the voice that they had to say what they had to say uh, to, to maybe use what, phrases or words that Jackson's character was using in the movie. Uh, and I think there is some truth to that. I, I, that being said, I do agree and hear what you're saying about this this character, uh, Rez, and also the pop music industry's influence on Allie, not feeling quite consistent with Allie's character. Uh, I don't know if I fully agree with it. I think that stardom and fame and, and having people finally listen to her music and see her for the artist that she is when it seems over and over again, per, music producers, not necessarily people... Listening to her sing, but music producers telling her that she's not pretty enough, and and finally having that not matter can be a captivating uh, drug, in some sense. Yeah, which
1: is which is kind of almost a little a little BS to me too. The the whole thing about oh the music industry tells you you're not uh, beautiful and or whatever. Because Lady Gaga, I mean, honestly, I don't think Lady Gaga has looked better than in this movie. Like. I, I don't know really? it, it's it seemed to ring a little false to me like when she's telling him oh you know people don't like well so so actually here's what I'll say about this I think that in the trailer they have the it's weird in the trailer that she says something like everyone told me they like the way I sound but not the way I look but that line isn't even in the movie she's instead she talks about her nose which I think is like better because it doesn't like it's not like oh I'm so ugly which is obviously not true. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it just draws attention to like a specific feature or
0: whatever. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And probably, you know, I hear what you're saying. I don't think I had as much of a problem with it, although I, I still noticed that and it's something that I thought about in the movie. Yeah. But I think it's probably worth now diving a little bit deeper, if that sounds good to you. Sure. All right, let's do it. Let's talk about, you know, the, kind of the one character who we haven't made any mention of yet in terms of you know, diving in deep. We talked a little bit about Bradley Cooper, which we'll return to in a moment. But first, I would like to talk about Lady Gaga and her character, Allie. You mentioned that Bradley Cooper is not the the standout performance of this movie. And I suspect that that is because Lady, you think that Lady Gaga is the standout performer in this movie. And I think that the critical consensus is that Lady Gaga is the standout performer in this movie. Yeah,
1: yeah I think that's right. Um, I will qualify by saying that I don't think this is like an otherworldly acting performance. I think that down the stretch maybe some of the scenes maybe are just a little too big for a, a rookie actor like Lady Gaga, but I think what maybe she, she lacks in like the polish at this point in her acting career, she fully makes up for, for in, the, in the music scenes. I think that her performance, like, it, it's so good, like, her vocal performance is so good that, like, if it was other people, I would think, oh, this sounds like, you know, they auto-tuned and recorded, you know, chopped this to death, but, like, knowing Lady Gaga, knowing, like, her talent, having seen her perform, you know, before, like I, like I do, I was like, no, that's just her, And, and I think it, it really adds a layer of believability to this movie because a lot hinges on the fact that, you know, she does have this star-making voice, like, you know, because so many people try to get into the music industry, but people just don't have that it factor, so I think for for this movie to be like, and certainly her relationship with Jackson Maine plays some of the role in why she, uh, you know, does ascend to the point where she does, but also I think that she, if, if, you're, if you want to make it believable that... She would even stop Jackson Maine in his tracks and he would even give her the time of day. You have to have someone like Lady Gaga with a voice like Lady Gaga's um, for it to really be believable. And I think that that decision to, to cast her um, you know with not a lot of acting experience totally pays off because she she really owns these, these uh, musical performance scenes, not just in her, with her voice but with her. Her face and, you know, what she does with her, her expressions and stuff during that, and especially, you know, the, the last scene, a very powerful scene in the movie mm-hmm. um, in which she performs, um, I think, really says a lot, says
0: more than we might have gotten in, you know, like a dialogue scene. Yeah, and, and you know, on that note, that's probably the other, that's, I mean... You mentioned earlier that Shallow is probably going to be the song that's nominated for an Oscar sure. in this movie. I think that there might be multiple Oscar nominations of songs in this movie, which I think it's is kind of, it's kind of what you were alluding to, but I think that, that that final song, that ending song, could definitely be another one that's nominated, because yeah. n- not only for the music, which I think is very powerful, but also, you know, it's the it's the extra umph behind the actual scene in which the song All is sung. It's what, how
1: much the song means. I think it's called My Love.
0: Uh, I think it's I'll Never Love Again. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'll never yeah. love again. Uh, yeah, anyway, yeah, I echo that. I, I I. don't know if I necessarily agree that the scenes were maybe too big for her. I think there are definitely a few that pushed her character and her acting chops maybe beyond what she was used to. I think her, I could be wrong, but I think her only other acting experience is on American Horror Story. That sounds right to me. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if she's been in any movies, but I know that she was a main character in one of the seasons of American Horror Story, but yeah. uh, I think that she surprised me with how good, I thought she was going to be worse than she was at acting uh, I didn't realize it before I did any research that she had been in anything else and I was like, okay, I get it, this movie is about, you know, a, a superstar of music, and it makes total sense that Lady Gaga is there and for the exact reasons that you've described about how, you know, if you're going to stop a, a talented musician like Jackson May and his tracks, then you have to be someone like lady gaga you have to have the voice of someone like lady gaga but i was also pleasantly surprised and maybe this is why i'm not as down her in some of the scenes where maybe she was a little bit weaker is i was just so pleasantly surprised by how good her acting performance was her character particularly in the first half i know we're talking a lot about how good the first half of the movie is but her, in the first half of the movie when she just meets jackson Maine, and they're having these conversations you know first at the at the drag bar and then at the you know, cop bar where she punches the cop and then you know and then again in the parking lot of the Costco-like grocery store that they go to it's i it's so believable she looks at someone who looks like she's been beaten down by people telling her that she's good enough but not really or that this like one thing that she can't control is holding her back and the the belief that she imbues <laughs> into me through her the the way she delivers those lines the kind of incredulity that she has with what what Jackson is telling her, specifically about how she looks, I think, um, and obviously her voice, which is, I mean, she knows how, <laughs> surely she knows how talented she is, um, but it, it, really, it really sparked something in me. I was like, wow, this Lady God can also really act, and I think that you're absolutely right, you know, it could be a different story if you don't have a movie full of concert scenes, which she absolutely crushes, but I also just thought she did well outside of those scenes i thought she had some really emotional scenes not just at the end when she's performing the song like you already described but also in the middle when you know even when she has these moments where she's trying to get through to jackson but can't quite reach him or there's the scene where she's in the bathtub and jackson comes in and i think it's actually you, the scene you're describing after after right. she performs I the SNL. On snl yeah and, she, and you know there's just an awful interaction between the two of them and she just has had enough and stands up for himself. Like, I thought that was a really powerful scene and uh, acting, and uh, a powerful scene of acting from Lady Gaga. And so, yeah, I was just really impressed by her performance. I thought it was, you know, if it's not a complete performance because of maybe a couple moments here and there of, of scenes that might be too big for an actress like her, uh, or an actress with the experience that she has so far, I think that she makes up for it in other places.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree with that, and I do think that, like you said, the... You know, especially in the first half of this movie, I do think her acting performance is strong. You know, these first scenes where she and Bradley Cooper are meeting each other, you know, particularly that first night that they mm-hmm. spent together, um, I think is really strong. I think they they play off of each other very well, and the dialogue in those scenes, in particular, feels very naturalistic, which I, mean, I like.
0: Uh, I was just going to say that their chemistry is one of the best yeah, parts of this movie. I was I was going to get to that actually. Um, yeah, I go think for it their chemistry is actually pretty
1: incredible you know we i feel like we talked about so many movies this year where we're like i didn't believe the romance (laughs) but like that is could not be further from the truth in this movie like i think that you feel it from the beginning uh which is credit to both actors um and i think that you know in some of them some of the more intimate scenes between the two of them you 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 feel the romance between the two of them um like it's it's legit like Mm. um and so i I really appreciated that um that i think that you know the, the second half of this movie is very deeply felt in a different way but i think the first half of the movie matches that too just in the way that we watch these characters you know fall in love and they really we really do watch them fall in love and uh you know we're we're feeling things along with them so i i really uh can't say enough about how good their chemistry is in
0: this movie. Yeah, and I think that, to your point, you know, from the first moment that they meet, you know, in in the drag bar when she's performing her song, and she lies down on the bar top in front of him, and at first she's kind of messing with her friend, who I think his name is maybe maybe Dame, Damon or Darren, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, or Ramon, that's what it is, sorry, Ramon. Well, I guess I was kind of close, one letter off. Um, yeah. But yeah, who's, she's maybe messing a little bit with Ramon at first, who's her her best friend, and then Bradley Cooper, uh, Jackson Maine sitting sitting next to her best friend. She turns her head the other direction, looks at him, and sings the very end of the song to him. And you can like feel it from that moment, kind of first first when their eyes locked. I know it's it's so cliche, but between the cinematography and then their chemistry, it is it's electric. I completely agree. Awesome. So I think. Since we're talking about the two of them together, we might as well just go ahead and shift over talking about Bradley Cooper. Uh, we've we've mentioned some, we've mentioned a little bit about his performance, and I've maybe aired my my high level thoughts already about his performance in this movie. But I'd love to just give you a moment to add any additional thoughts to to how you thought, you know, of Jackson Maine as a character, about Bradley Cooper's performance as Jackson Maine. Did you have anything else to add to that discussion? Yeah, I don't know if I have a ton more to say, but I think
1: that. Um you know, again, this is a familiar character. We've seen this, you know, the alcoholic musician or whatever at the, you know, low point of his career has like been done so many times. But I think that, again, just the quality of this movie, you know, kind of makes you forget about the fact that you think that you've seen, you've seen this character before. You you maybe even have seen this character trajectory before. Um, And I think that while he doesn't, Wow, necessarily wow you, Bradley Cooper's performance brings something to the character that where, where we you know where we we do relate to the character and we do empathize with the character and care about the character even though we've seen the character before.
0: Yeah, I mean, I to just reiterate and not dwell too long on what I've already said. I just really think that Bradley Cooper. I mean, I could be over-reading the situation. Maybe if we just sat down with Bradley Cooper in a one-on-one, he would disagree with me. But I think that he recognizes the kind of actor that he is, the performances that he puts in. And he just tailor-made this character, tweaked that this kind of archetype of character, and to, to match perfectly with the kind of performances that he is best and is most commonly giving in his roles. And it works. It works really well. I agree. Awesome. All right. So there's, there's a pretty, I mean, I wouldn't say there's a huge supporting cast in this film, but there are still a couple other characters worth mentioning. And I think one of those is definitely the one played by Sam Elliott, who's Bobby Maine Jackson's older brother and, and tour manager. And, you know, I, Sam Elliott's someone who looks really familiar. And I'm not actually sure if I've ever seen him in anything else before, but what did you think of his role? What did you think of his performance? I at first wasn't quite sure what to think personally, and then this character really won me over over the course of the movie. Granted, he disappears for a little while and then comes back. But what did you think?
1: I really liked this character, and I really liked the performance by Sam Elliott. And yeah. I, you know, I, I, I was drawn in by the character earlier on. I think early on, I think some of the scenes between him and Bradley Cooper are really good. Um, you know, Obviously, we have to make a little bit of a leap to the fact that they're brothers mm-hmm. um, but you know they do actually explain it in the movie at one point like how, how exactly the two of them could be brothers even though there's such an age gap but you know I, I do I do really like some of the scenes between them particularly you know the first, the scene where they kind of have their big falling out in the movie and Sam Elliott basically says like oh you you stole my voice and Bradley Cooper's like well you didn't have anything to say um, and I think that's a really powerful scene that says a lot about those two characters Um, So I really appreciate Sam Elliott. I think, honestly, he's perfectly cast. Like, you could not have picked a more perfect person to play this kind of old, grizzled old, like, country-western, you know, band manager. Like, that's Sam Elliott for you in a nutshell. But I also want to shout out, while we're talking about the supporting cast, I really liked Andrew Dice Clay Mm -hmm. as... Uh, lady gaga's father yeah um you know he's someone who's primarily known for stand-up comedy um but i think that he has such a his performance it's such a warm like inviting performance that he gives and i really like the scenes between him
0: i actually wanted more of the scenes between like him and his buddies who just like hang out at the house oh yeah they were Um, were definitely the comic relief of the movie
1: yeah they they had some great banter back and forth oh you Um, you see
0: that number that's the number of people who viewed the video
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's great when they're looking at the YouTube video. Um, so I, re- I really like that. I think that it, he's. I I, re- I I liked the way that he played this character of even when you know there's there's a low point in the relationship between Jackson and Allie. Like he's someone that Allie can always come to and count on. Like especially in that scene after the Grammys meltdown. Um, you know, he's the one who gets. Bradley Cooper out of there and kind of says how could you do this you know how could you do this to my daughter and I think Andrew Dice Clay does a great job
0: yeah I agree it, it almost feels like one of those roles where like if it had been uh, a different director or, I mean even with Bradley Cooper as director I'm almost surprised that it's not Robert De Niro playing the character um, yeah that's true you can see him too <laughs> yeah it, it felt like Robert De Niro maybe like was the person who should have been cast in the role but Andrew Dice Clay I mean he just does such a good job by the end of it I was like oh no that was the right person for that role. He just really, he, I don't know, you know, how much direction Bradley Cooper had to give to him or, or how the character was maybe originally written in the script, but whatever it was to whatever it became on screen, Andrew Dice Clay made it what it should have been. And at first I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of a weird relationship between Allie and her father. But then over the course of the film and the, and the few scenes that you get uh, of the two of them, maybe a few is underselling it. There's, there is quite a few by the end of it. You really feel like wow, like yes, this relationship is strained, like maybe any parental relationship is from time to time, but you know these people really care about each other. Andrew Dice Clay is, is the kind of father you imagine Allie having, especially, and, and he's a very endearing character from the scenes that you're describing about like with him and his friends, and and clearly, I think one of the things that resonated most with me is just how proud of Allie he is in in some of the scenes. You know, whether it's you know before the Grammys or you know when they're watching that YouTube video of her performance of shallow for the first time on stage, it, it it's just really emotional almost like his performance yeah. is oddly enough, just really emotional. And it's not always what you'd expect from that kind of parental role in, in this kind of film, but it's yeah. what I got out of it. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Cool. I mean, I don't know if I have too much more to add. I did also really like Sam Elliott as Bobby and you know, it, it, it I don't know when they explicitly say that they are brothers or at least heavily imply that they're brothers, but it was something that was uh, interesting to kind of piece through in your mind as as more and more hints were dropped over the course of the film. And then one of the most memorable moments in the film for me is when Sam Elliott, it's his first scene, I think it's when... Bradley Cooper, you know Jackson Maine, is kind of warming up pre-show. Uh, it's 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 the second show that you see in the movie. It's after his night with Allie, and he comes out there. It's where you learn about also Jackson Maine's uh, tinnitus and also tinnitus, yeah. yeah tinnitus and his and his you know increasing worry about going deaf. And you know Sam Elliott just comes out tells tells Jackson that he's gonna he has to wear the the hearing or the hearing device. I'm not exactly sure what it is and then, you know, basically just tells Bradley Jackson that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to take your crap, like, here, put it in, you have to wear it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. So well, it sets up the character very nicely. Oh, yeah, per- perfectly. And then later when you're like, oh, yeah, when you make the connection, that oh, yeah, that's his brother, that, that totally makes sense that that's the way he's talking to him. Um, anyway, yeah, I think that, you know, maybe we'll touch some more on some characters as we dive into the plot, but I think the plot is exactly where I want to go now. And, and we've talked a lot about the first half of the film, uh, falling and watching Bradley Cooper's character Jackson Maine and, and Lady Gaga's character Allie fall in love, and the second half is a different story. You know, it, it's almost a tale of of two of two stories. You have the falling in love, and then uh, something else in the second half of the movie. And I'd love to just hear your thoughts about how those two halves are connected, how those work for you. It, it sounds like just from what I'm listening, you say that the first half, you know, was a huge hit for you, and I'd really like to hear you talk a little bit more about the second half. And, and for all of our listeners now who haven't seen *A Star Is Born* yet, I think we are going to take the gloves off and say that you know spoilers are on the table at this point. And not that I think that anything is particularly surprising about this film. I think that the you know the denouement, so to speak, or the, or the climactic uh-huh. moment in the film is pretty predictable after a certain point. But I do want to go ahead and say that we will be entering spoiler territory after this. If you prefer to stay spoiler free,
1: yeah. So I think that. Um Kind of you know what you said about the second half is, is one of the reasons why I, I would say that I like the, the first half more is just that I think the familiarity of it starts to play more of a role in the second half of the movie um, I think in the first half you know we do have sort of that element of surprise he, even if there's not even if there are familiar moments in that uh, you know at the beginning um, I think that just the experience of watching these two characters like I said fall in love kind of is what makes the movie coast along but the second half i think we do get into more familiar territory but you know i still you know, think it's a very strong last 45 minutes to an hour of the movie and it has some very very powerful scenes in it we talked about that fight scene i think that that's powerful for one reason i think another example is the scene that bradley cooper and lady gaga have at rehab after you know he's been in rehab he's he's uh you know coming home soon and Lady Gaga comes to visit him, and, and Bradley Cooper's character really just kind of breaks down and um, opens up to, to Lady Gaga, and I think, again, that's, you know, that's a really emotionally powerful scene. Um, and, you know, it was kind of, kind of after that scene, I felt like the, uh, the movie might be going towards a different direction for its ending, and of course it doesn't. I've said this before, but I'm, I, I, I am very hesitant to accept a movie with the, oh, protagonist dies at the end ending um but I think that this movie I think it earns the ending and I think that that last scene we talked about with Lady Gaga it really brings it home to me and really like convinced me that yeah this this um this scene of Bradley Cooper you know committing suicide is really what we needed to cement the movie's point and to give us this really powerful scene where she performs
0: Right, yeah, I mean, for me, it, it definitely after the Grammy scene, right? like it just really felt there was nowhere else the movie could go, but there, and I don't know what the other you know incarnations of this film are like and how those movies end. I'm not familiar with any of them actually, but uh it just seemed painfully obvious this is where it's gonna go, and that's not necessarily a bad thing like predictability like unpredictability in a movie is not a requirement for it to be good. and I think that even though you can see it coming, this movie, to me, manages to still evoke all the emotions of it happening by surprise or unpredictably. And I think that that is a credit to this movie. And that's, you know, if, if your movie is going to be predictable, you don't want the emotional response that your, you know, your theme, your plot should evoke to change based on that. And I think that to your point, to your point and talking about this movie maybe earns its ending and, and earns that that moment of allowing your character or your protagonist to die, I think is absolutely spot on. I think that this movie builds you up in the first half, you know, even though you know that you know somewhere under the surface there's probably something going on with Jackson, there's something a little bit darker. And then the second half exploring that darkness as kind of, not necessarily the two, uh, of the two being Ally and Jackson, not, not that they necessarily part ways in a, in a way, but as much as the first half of the movie is about coming together, uh and and these two characters together the second half of the movie is about who these characters are separate from each other and right oh go ahead yeah
1: right and i was just you know on that point i think that every scene in the second half of this movie is absolutely necessary because if you look at the trajectory Mm -hmm. of the movie like when we meet these characters at the beginning you know it's it's bradley cooper who's at his height and it's lady gaga who's kind of at the lowest of the low. You know, the first scene we see her in is where she's talking on the phone with, you know, some ex-boyfriend who's, like, proposed to her and she just walks out of a stall at a bathroom at the restaurant where she works and just screams. Yep. So she's, like, the lowest... She's at her, had her rock bottom and, meanwhile, Jackson Maine is kind of, you know, playing for this sold-out crowd. Um, but then, you know, their paths cross and it's like, for a brief moment, they're on the same playing field and that's when their relationship is, like, at its height. But then the trajectory starts to go the other way. So I think, you know, in order for the movie to follow through on its trajectory, I think that, you know, it's necessary that at the end of this movie, Bradley Cooper is, or he he was at his rock bottom um, mm-hmm. before he, he, you know, he makes that ultimate decision to end his life. So I think it does make sense.
0: Yeah, and to kind of revisit a point that I said that we would revisit, and you're talking about the theme of, you know, the pop, the pop music industry being kind of a monster, so to speak. I really think that this movie doesn't pull its punches on that. You, you say that you wish they had taken it further, but I think that this character of Rez, you know, it's hard to point to one moment and say like, oh, this is what caused someone to commit suicide. Right. But I think that if you had to point to a moment where, oh, this is what caused Bradley Cooper to, Jackson Maine, I should say, to commit suicide, It is this conversation with Rez that he has towards the end of the film where Rez says, look, you know, you are holding her back. You are the reason why, if she isn't successful, she's not going to be, like, she's not successful. And she would be better off without you. It doesn't use those words, right? But in other, you know, in other words, says those exact things. And you can see, and this is a part where I give credit to Bradley Cooper, but you can see the life kind of go out of his eyes when he, in that conversation. And, you know, you have lady gaga's alley. come home later and talk to him about oh like look we're gonna do all these things together and which we later find out was a lie from her yeah and then you know you can see him you know having all like contemplating the decision already and i mean like you know tries to essentially in some ways it it is easing his own pain right and in other ways it's you know i'm i don't know maybe this is stretching it too far but like is taken as some sort of like oh like for you to be as successful, as you can be. I have to sacrifice myself or whatever. I think that there's. It's probably some column A, some of column B, on that. But yeah. I, go ahead. Yeah, for me, I think I don't know the
1: Res character. Just seen I think there's a way to make this point. The Res character was just so obvious to me, and he, even the oh, so, uh, yeah. even the scene you're talking about, I think it's you know it's a very it's very predictable. Um, oh, like, yeah. From the moment from the moment we meet this character you know that the the first scene or wherever she meets him and then the next scene is when they're in the hotel and mm-hmm. you know she tells him, she's telling him about meeting the producer about meeting Rez, and he kind of like smears cake on her face and it's kind of like a play, playful scene but you see like the the beginning of the the tension starting to build and, and kind of from that moment on i was like yeah i know exactly where this particular plot thread is going mm-hmm. you know and i and i think that it pretty much kind of hits those familiar beats whether it's you know the scene you're talking about whether it's him saying saying to her like no you absolutely can't bring him on tour with you or you know hurt him asking her to make choices like to basically sell out um mm-hmm. and i yeah I, I just didn't really vibe with the rest of that um with with most of that plot thread I don't think that the performance of whoever plays Rez was particularly strong, and I think it stands out in a movie which, for the most part, is very high quality.
0: Rafi Gavron, I believe. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Rafi. Yeah, sorry. But put in a better performance, we'll talk about you in a more positive light. Anyway, um, I think that, I yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think that, I guess for me, I just don't have the same problems with that with that subplot. Yes, it's, it's very predictable, I think it is. But I think that, I mean, the point it's making is that, you know, If you want to be super famous, if you want to be hyper famous, you know, there are going to be people out there, there are going to be influences out there that pull you away from where you started. And I mean, I think Lady Gaga as like a real, in real life, IRL, is is someone who probably has, you know, maybe she's felt like there's points in her life where she has sold out a little bit, but has ultimately, I think, stayed pretty true to who she is. And, And you can see that in her philanthropy, you can see that in her activism, but you wonder if this movie is just trying to say, look, like it's not easy. It's not easy to stay on the quote unquote like straight and narrow in terms of being the kind of person and the kind of artist you wanted to be starting out. And, you know, yes, you have this super cliche character of Rez, who is the you know, the little devil on your shoulder, so to speak. But at the end of the day I, I don't know if I have as many problems with that subplot and that character as it sounds like you do. Fair enough, and not all people will. No, I think. But that that being said, I do still think it's the the weakest part of the movie. All right, Great. yeah. All right. So I, I, you know, we've talked a little bit about. I mean, obviously, Jackson Maine's suicide, which is is int- intimately tied to his mental health and you know the state that he's in. We've alluded to this fact already too by talking about him being in rehab. But you know, we haven't necessarily explicitly mentioned it that he is you know throughout the movie from start to finish an alcoholic and a drug addict. And I think that it bears mentioning. I I like to talk about it when. It, it is a recurring theme in the movies we talk about. You know, we, we had Tully, not necessarily about alcoholism and addiction, but, you know, mental health. We had Tully earlier this year, and there have been several others, and I thought it worth bringing up here as well. But, you know, what do you think this movie has to say about addiction, about alcoholism, uh, about mental health?
1: Yeah, I think for me, the point is really brought home in one of the scenes that I alluded to earlier, where the scene where they meet up in rehab, and... I think it's just such an amazing, such a painful, but amazingly realized moment when they're having this conversation, and, and and Bradley Cooper is saying, you know, they're they're talking about Bradley Cooper coming home after he leaves rehab, and, and Lady Lady Gaga's kind of saying, well, do you really want to come home? And he's like, well, what are you talking about? Like, of course I want to come home. And he's and she, you know, says to him, every single time, you know, ever since I've known you you've always been drunk. So like, I don't really know. Do you really, you know, do you really love me? Do you really care about me? Or was that just you when you were drunk? And I think that's kind of the ultimate point that this movie is making about, um, alcoholism and addiction is that it, it destroys your relationships. Uh, you know, even, even relationships where you can feel like you're on top of the world, like these characters do early in the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, as, the, as addiction continues to sink its its claws in, sinks its claws in further, you just lose that authenticity in your relationship. Um, and I mm-hmm. think, you know, like Lady Gaga saying, like, it seems so crazy that after all we've seen these characters go through, after, you know, the relationship that they've had and, the, you know, the love that they show for each other at many times in this movie, that she could feel this way. But at the same time, like, when she said it, I'm like, well, yeah, like he—he's been drunk the whole movie. Like, from her perspective, how can she look at that and say we've had an authentic relationship over the past however much time it is that passes? Um, so, I think that for me it, it is what the movie is—is is ultimately saying. And I think that you know, as far as mental health goes, I think it, you know it's saying what a lot of movies are saying, which are, which is get get help. You know, there's people who want to help you out there. Um, Because I think a lot of the times when Bradley Cooper, when he stops drinking or, you know, when he goes to rehab are some of the points where this relationship comes back and starts to bloom a little bit again. Um, So, you know, I think I think the movie maybe isn't saying uh, it isn't being as pointed as like Tully was, for example. Um, But I think that it still has important things to say.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. I mean, I'm someone who likes to push movies to take something on a little, even even more head-on than it necessarily would otherwise. And I, and I almost wish that this movie had done the same. I, I wish it had been more like Tully. That being said, I, I, I understand that the tone of Tully isn't quite what this movie is shooting for. And, and, you know, only part of this movie is focusing on mental health, right? Whereas, at the end of the day, I think the main theme of Tully is mental health. But right. To, to kind of cut that comparison off and, and focus more on A Star is Born... I think that what it does do, and what it does bring to light, is exactly what you mentioned. I think it, you know you have these a couple scenes, or you know one or two scenes in rehab. You have him swimming in the pool. I know it's like a it's like a, it's obviously a, a very brief metaphor for you know starting anew and, and you know channeling your energy elsewhere outside sure. of drinking. And but but you can see the change that it, that it you know generates in in Jackson's life. You know in those moments. Right. And, and that continues and carries over for when he comes home, and you have the scenes where you know he's playing with the dog Charlie, which is adorable, by the way. Oh my goodness! Um, and, and then you know, as as Allie writes you no know, new songs and practices those songs on the piano and, and whatnot, and you have this you have this fleeting moment where things are right again when his addiction isn't a part or isn't visibly a part anymore. At least to us, obviously we can't see inside of his head but, you know, isn't visibly part of his life anymore, and it, and it seems idyllic almost for a short, short time. But then, you know, he has the conversation with Rez. He is clearly torn, you know, being torn up inside over the decision of what he wants to do with himself and ultimately making a, a, the decision to end his life, to take drugs and, and, and drink again right before in those final moments. And, and you just wonder... What this movie—if you kind of tie things, the alcoholism back into the first part, you know, between his relationship with his brother Bobby and and other moments, other small moments, right, where, you know, whether it's relation, his relationship with his best friend played by Dave Chappelle, you just see exactly what you described—the the the mutation that someone's life can undergo through alcoholism, and you know, even even if I might have wanted some more active steps towards, you know, getting help and, and. and seeking out ways and uh, treatment, I, I still think the movie does does what it, what it can well, or does what it does well, and in, in what's within its scope. Yeah, I agree. Cool. All right, well, I think we've, unless there's another topic that you think we're missing, I think we've pretty thoroughly discussed this one. You want to end yeah, a wrap-up? Yeah, okay, cool, let's, let's do it. So, there are so many to choose from, but what is your favorite scene from A Star is Born?
1: There really are so many to choose from. I was just thinking about that. Um, but since I've mentioned a lot of them, I've mentioned, you know, that I love I'll Always Remember Us This Way, that scene, um, and a few others, you know, that I've mentioned are really strong. I'll mention one that I haven't mentioned. Um, and that's actually at the very beginning of the movie um, when we first meet Lady Gaga's character. Of course, I talked a little bit about it earlier, but the scene basically ends with her. Uh, yeah. she, gets, she, t- she takes out the trash and she starts singing somewhere over the rainbow and she walks through this long alley and there's just a great shot of her walking down the alley as these sort of old fashioned opening credits, like, you know, hearkening back to the old versions of A Star Is Born come on the screen saying, you know, with the title A Star Is Born and it's just a wonderful way uh, I think to introduce us to that character and to introduce us to the movie that we are about to see. Uh, so, really appreciate that. And another example of great cinematography. Love the shot there.
0: Yeah, it's it's almost a, an outlier in its own cinematography, right? That's the only scene where you get a shot where the camera is still and the character is walking away. And yeah. as you say, you know, doing a couple a couple spins, a couple twirls, and and singing, you know, under her breath, almost uh, somewhere over the rainbow. It is it is a great scene. Yeah, I think for me, my favorite scene—it's hard to choose. It really is. I think that you know, if you want an emotional scene, you you there's no better one to go with than the last one when you know she's singing, you know, "I'll Never Love Again" in those final moments. And you know, if you want something visceral and heartwarming, you have any of the concert scenes where they're singing their duet, right? Uh, I think for me, just as a as a point of taking it out of the concerts, right, and taking it away from a lot of the things that I think are more clearly obvious, quote-unquote, choices for the favorite scene or the favorite moment, the ones that, that they really utilize Lady Gaga's star power. I think that one of my favorite scenes is just the one in the parking lot outside of outside of the Costco-like grocery store where, yeah. you know, you have him <laughs> wrapping her hand in with the frozen peas, and you have them talking... Back and forth, it was a it was a change of pace. You didn't get too many more scenes like that after, because you know those first few scenes are, are so uh, in in their own. They they really are unique to in the movie, right? Because there are scenes where they have these where they have conversations again, but but never in that way, never with that kind of youthful love in their eyes. You know, just sitting on uh, essentially just sitting in the middle of a parking lot. And I just really enjoyed those, that moment, and I enjoyed the conversations they were having while, you know, you also have Bradley Cooper, like, being a MacGyver for, for her yeah. hand, which she got, you know, she, she bruised her hand or bruised her knuckles or broke her knuckles or whatever she did by punching a cop in the face who was asking you know, Bradley Cooper or Jackson Maine to take a picture with him because apparently his wife had slept with, or ex-wife, I guess, had slept with someone who looked like Jackson Maine.
1: Yeah, it, I, I agree, it is a great scene and as you rightfully point out, I think it shows us a side of the characters that we don't see a lot more of for the rest of the movie, so I definitely appreciate it for that.
0: Absolutely. All right, let's put a score on A Star Is Born. What are you giving it? Yeah, so even though I've, you know, talked critically
1: about some things and I've said, you know, I didn't love the movie, I think that this movie is extremely strong and, and definitely lives up to the hype that it's getting and I'm gonna give it an eight point nine.
0: Eight point nine. All right. Continuing a, a recent trend, a rather unusual trend of me scoring a movie higher than you. Uh, I I am going with nine point four. Yeah. Cool. I, which is perfectly fair, I think. Yeah. I I mean I, I do think this is, you know, we've watched and talked about a lot of movies on this podcast. I think I don't know what our count is at at this point for the year, but I think this movie is is right up there with the top ones that we've watched. For sure, it's
1: in my top ten at the moment. I would definitely
0: say. All right. So. That's our pretty lengthy discussion of A Star is Born, a beautiful and, and gut-wrenching one, no doubt. But let's take a short break, and when we return, we'll be discussing a few other movies we've been had the chance to watch recently. Uh, before we talk a little movie trivia showdown and some news, we'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It Scott. Scott, we have two more movies on the docket for discussion today, though neither of us have seen both of them. So why don't we start with the other movie you managed to see since our last recording? All right, yeah. So
1: I uh, I happened to go see. So this is a movie which we ta- actually talked about discussing on our last episode, but we ended up trying. Uh, we ended up discussing The Wife instead, which was a good choice, I think. But I also enjoyed this movie. Um, it is. It almost defies description, but this is a movie called um, "I Assassination Nation. Sorry, I had a brain freeze there. Um, and it is directed by Sam Levinson. I believe this is his, his debut. It, it is his debut. I know that for a fact. Um, and this is a crazy movie um, about a group of teenage girls uh, in a town called Salem. Not exactly very subtle there, uh, what we're going for, but um, who become the victim of this data hack, basically, so so someone ostensibly in their community um, has hacked into their phones, all of their emails, everything, and is publishing all of this embarrassing information. Of course, you know, we have, like, teachers who are caught in sex scandals and, you know, the kind of things you would expect um, when a leak like this hits hits a high school. Um, but the movie uh, takes on these, these themes about social media, about... Uh, gender, um, there's one of the main characters is a tra- is transgender, um, so it, it also, uh, looks at that, um, it takes these on in a, in a very in-your-face, very over-the-top way, and I have to say I really admire the fact that this movie just goes for it, because you see so many directors, especially first-time directors, who are so scared to take their movie all the way over the top, um, and I think that this movie doesn't have that problem I think that it just goes for that total visceral impact and I think that yes it does not always it certainly does not always succeed um, in doing that but in the scenes where it does succeed uh, are some of them are pretty amazing and I want to single out one which I actually think is one of the best scenes of the year if not the single best scene of the year Um, and it is a it's a set piece that takes place in this house Um, so in the end of the movie like the last 45 minutes I I told this to Scott but this movie kind of becomes the purge basically uh, there's like this long manhunt that occurs in the neighborhood where the girls live um, as people are are sort of looking for them not to spoil too much but um, but so there's a set piece in a house where what you know a couple two or three of the girls are hiding out and we see the the camera. It's one tracking shot for the entire scene. It continuously moves around the house, and we see people breaking into the house, coming to kill, you know, the girls. But we also see the girls in different rooms of the house, and they're unaware. And we see, you know, as the the killers are making their way through the house, and as the girls are moving from room to room, and all, of, you know, at all times, it's the same shot, and the the, the camera is just panning around in a circle. Um, And it's just one long tracking shot, and it's just absolutely mesmerizing and brilliantly, brilliantly done um, by the cinematographer Marcel Reb is his name. Um, Haven't seen anything he's done before, but um, very impressed with what he does in this scene. It actually reminds me of one of my favorite movies of all time, The Untouchables, um, a scene that takes place with Sean Connery, Sean Connery's death scene in the house. Uh, sort of has the same sort of thing where we follow him back and forth through the house and we also follow the man who eventually shoots him. Um, but yeah, this movie, uh, it like I said, it takes on a lot. It's very in-your-face, but I really admire that about it. I think that when it does succeed, it it succeeds in a big way. And I think that this is a very contemporary movie. Like, this, is a, this is an extremely 2018 movie, and I appreciate the way it attacks relevant issues in a relevant way. And I also like the performances. Um, so our main characters are uh, none of them are really that familiar of a names. But Odessa Young plays Lily. We have Abra who plays M. We have Hari Neff, who plays Bex, and we have uh, spooky Waterhouse, probably the most familiar name. Um, she's a fashion model. She's also been in several movies. One, a movie we watched last year <laughs> called The Bad Batch, which is very, very uh, entertaining there. film, I would say. Very um, out there not uh not huge names there but there actually are some bigger names in the movie uh so joel McHale is one name which a lot of people will know he plays a a teacher that um that lily odessa young's character is having an affair with bill skarsgård is also in the movie he plays lily's um ex-boyfriend boyfriend boyfriend. she's kind of you know stringing him along um but we know him of course as um uh pennywise and it um (laughs) And we also have Bella Thorne, who I kind of, I think her role in this movie is interesting because you kind of wonder is she in on the joke or not? Because she seems to be like kind of a part of the social media culture that this movie is kind of critiquing. And I think it's, it doesn't really hide the ball, maybe, that she, she isn't in on the joke because the way that the, the final scene that this character has in the movie, I'll put it that way, is uh, is very memorable and definitely one of the best scenes in the movie and one of the gnarliest scenes in the movie as well. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely recommend this movie. Uh, I would give it a 7.6 if I had to put a score on it. Um, like I said, it doesn't completely work, but I really admire the ambition that Sam Levinson shows and I am looking forward to what he does next.
0: Yeah, I mean... You convince me that it's a movie that I hopefully can catch when it rolls around to a digital release. Maybe it'll be on a Netflix, or uh, I might even spring, spring for the rental. Uh, but it sounds interesting. It hasn't done that well at the box office. Maybe not surprisingly, it doesn't have, it, it doesn't have any, anything to compel someone who, who isn't particularly interest, interested in movies to go see it. I didn't. I don't even remember seeing a trailer for it. To be honest, uh, I saw some posters, but that's about it. And as for Sam Levinson, I hate, I hate to break your heart here, but he has directed a movie before. It, it, he directed another Happy Day, which is another black comedy back in 2010. But wow, never heard of it. But, yeah. Well, anyway, well, yeah, I mean, no, neither has anyone else because it only made 355 thousand at the box office. So you're going to say 355 dollars. Um, <laughs> what's but the difference any, though? Anyway, you know? it, even if it's his second film, I think my point still stands. About no, absolutely. To like, see a director going for it this early in his career. No, I, I that was the point I wanted to circle back around to because you know just because some technicality directed a movie eight years ago, I think that what you're saying still rings true. Yeah. Alright, for the other movie that we have left to discuss is the recent box office release Venom, which came out this past weekend along you know, opposite actually, A Star Is Born, and it, it you know, it's it's performed really well. We were talking before the show about the box office this weekend, and it, it actually doubled A Star Is Born's performance, which was $40 million, and it, it has made $80 million, roughly in the U.S. box office, which is Quite uh, quite a good number, uh, especially since the the critics have kind of panned it a little bit, um, more than a little bit. It has is, it is generally been panned by critics. And, you know, for me, from my perspective, I, I saw this movie, I can see where the critics are coming from. You know, obviously the big attraction is, is the character Venom, right, which is an infamous character in the Marvel universe, specifically the, spider, uh, the Spider-Man the universe, and a very famous anti-hero, kind of along the same vein as Deadpool even – I mean, very different kinds of characters, but an antihero in you know within a sub franchise of Marvel, right? Uh, that that's kind of Venom has been that kind of Deadpool role for the, for the Spider Man franchise. O- obviously, the comic relief of isn't there because Venom is this you know bloodthirsty, ruthless symbiote, uh, whereas you know Deadpool is this kind of humorous, you know humorous antihero. But I-, I think Venom is probably the best part of this movie. You know, the character of Venom, the action sequences that you see you know tom hardy as full venom in is is are are the you know key center center points the center pieces i should say of this film they're the best parts they're the they're the highest highs this movie's hits and unfortunately it just doesn't capture that in any other part of the movie i think tom hardy isn't that great I, i honestly kind of wondered if if tom hardy was putting in an ironic performance or if he understood uh at all what like how he was coming off because his character, Eddie Brock, is thoroughly uninspiring. You, I think you're supposed to care about this character. Like, I think you are. Uh, separate from Venom. Because I think Venom is, is obviously supposed to tear you from the inside. Be like, oh, he's like this very ruthless symbiote. But, you know, maybe he has some redeeming qualities. But, unfortunately, I just can't seem to find any likable qualities about Tom Hardy. Like, at the beginning of the movie, he, you know, does this really selfish thing where he essentially breaks in. Doesn't, he doesn't br- Well, no, he does break in. He does use his password to get into his girlfriend's computer and read you know, a piece of information that he then uses in an interview uh, to, that essentially gets him fired, gets his girlfriend fired, and, uh, you know, just basically just puts him in a bad place, and you just don't feel sorry for him at all. I don't know if you're supposed to feel sorry for him, but I didn't. Um, And if you weren't supposed to feel sorry for him, I'm not quite sure what the point of it was then. But, anyway, Tom Hardy's just very meh, like, I think his character is meh. Tom Hardy's probably a little bit better than his character, but not too much in this film. Riz Ahmed, who plays the villain, who plays Carlton Drake, who is this I mean, for the lack of a better way to describe it, plays a mad scientist essentially trying to find a way to survive outside of Earth. He's this kind of radical um, scientist who very much believes the Earth is is dying and wants to find a way to live in space or on another planet, find life form outside of Earth. And, you know, he's willing to literally do whatever it takes to to achieve that goal. And and his is probably the best acting performance, the best character in the movie because – the other, only other role of any, you know, significance in this movie is Michelle Williams' character who plays Tom Hardy's fi- you know, ex-fiancee, I'm even forgetting, I think Anne, Annie maybe, is the name of her character, and I don't really get any, I don't think I've seen Michelle Williams anything before, maybe I have, maybe I haven't, but, you know, I, don't, I, I I say that to say I'm not sure whose fault it is, but her character is just awful. Like, thoroughly uninspiring of, like, the Bryce Dallas Howard levels from uh, Jurassic the Jurassic world franchise so just like they try to do absolutely nothing with this character and you have this one cool moment where venom uses her like uses her as his host and you see it for like five seconds on screen and that is like the peak of Michelle Williams in this movie and again I'm not sure if it's Michelle Williams poor acting I'm not sure if it's if that plays a major role in it but like this character is so poorly done so poorly written that it, it made me very disappointed because I thought we were like past the I thought we were getting into a better place of, like, female characters in superhero movies, but I guess we're just still not there yet, uh, at least across the board. From a story... Yeah. Oh, go ahead, yep. No,
1: you, you go ahead. I was going to comment when you're done, but go
0: ahead. I was going to say, this, you know, I talked about the characters a little bit. The story it doesn't make much sense either, like, you, you, I guess you understand Carlton Drake's motivations, because he's just really wants to find life outside Earth and move off of Earth and kind of move into an, uh, an environment that's more sustainable, because he essentially has given up hope on making Earth a, a viable living space for humanity. But that being said, like, you get this sort of... I guess I'm kind of jumping into spoilers here, so I apologize uh, for those who care. But you, you get to this point where Venom changes from this bloodthirsty, I want to, you know, eat people's... I mean, I guess, like, the, 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 the keynote for Venom is that he likes to eat people's heads. That's how he feeds or whatever. Um, and you get to the point where, you know... He is tired of that. He goes from kind of the, I want to kill people and eat live humans to, you know what? I like Earth. I want to stay here. Let's stop uh, the antagonist of the movie from essentially destroying, uh, equivalently, uh, what is the equivalent of destroying Earth, right? And this transition makes, like, there is no context for this decision whatsoever. And, you know, there is some, some awkwardly interesting chemistry between Tom Hardy and Venom and I know that I'm pretty sure Venom is also voiced by Tom Hardy so it's kind of weird to say that the two have chemistry like some kind of chemistry but it is good that there's like a good part of of you know the weird interactions where you have like Tom Hardy talking to himself and then the Venom voice inside of his head talking but besides that it's just there's real no- really no like smooth transition in this movie the plot's very choppy doesn't make much sense uh and like I said to kind of reiterate the good parts of this movie is where definitely the action there are some great sequences, not not including the last scene, which I think is the, the kind of the set piece. Final set piece isn't that great, but like some action sequences in a, in a building lobby where it's like Venom versus a ton of SWAT people, and it's that's a really cool action sequence. And you know, kind of how I feel about this movie it was mentioned by you know from Tom Hardy himself, and you mentioned this before recording that he is distancing himself from this film, and I think that's absolutely spot on and tells you all you need to know about this movie. Because Tom Hardy apparently said the best 35 to 40 minutes of this movie were cut before the theatrical release, uh, which probably might have something to do with the fact that they really wanted to hit a PG-13 rating and not an R rating for whatever reason. I mean, I don't know why because Deadpool has been so successful as an R-rated movie. Uh, I don't don't know why they were trying. And Logan, for that matter, too, last year. I don't know why they're trying to pull any punches on the R rating, but it's something that Sony or Marvel wanted. I'm not sure. And that's what they went for. And as a result... I mean, I don't know if it's as a result of that, but... It ended up with 35 or 40 minutes, according to Tom Hardy, the best 35 or 40 minutes being cut from this movie, which is extremely disappointing. I'm pretty disappointed in this movie. And, you know, it's hard to point to one specific problem that tanks this movie because there are a lot of bad parts to it. And ultimately, I'm, you know, it does have a few redeeming qualities. I mentioned Riz Ahmed's performance and, and Tom Hardy being okay and the action sequences being pretty good. And But it ultimately kind of levels out at a 4.4 for me.
1: Yeah, so, you know, this is a movie that, like, I was definitely interested by it. I mean, I think that when you consider the only portrayal of Venom that we've seen on screen was by the great Mark Ellis lookalike, Topher Grace, um, in Spider-Man 3, uh, which is a movie I think everyone would like to forget. Um, I think that this is... Well, you're going to think
0: more highly of that movie when you see this version of Yeah,
1: maybe so. Um, But I think this is a character which, you know, deserves to get his own movie, and... You know, a a cast like Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams, and Riz Ahmed—those are three big actors, like at the moment. So, you know, obviously, it it looks really good on paper, um, but just sounds like it didn't all come together, and and that's one of the reasons why I've sort of lost my enthusiasm uh, for seeing it. But you know, maybe once it comes out um, on VOD, I'll check it out. You know, I, I, I do try to stay up to date with the superhero movies, even though this isn't like a MCU um, mm-hmm. movie, really. But it is interesting to me that, like, as much success as Marvel had with Deadpool with an anti-hero movie like that, that they couldn't really channel any of that magic into
0: this movie. Yeah, you know, part of it, at the end of the day, probably comes down to Ruben Fleischer as the director, right? But, like, it's not like he hasn't done good movies before. I mean, he did Zombieland, which, I mean, it's a very it's a different kind of movie, but... I think it's generally regarded as a pretty good movie. It, correct me if I'm wrong there? No, oh, yeah,
1: I, I'm a big fan of that movie. I think it's really funny and uh, great performances. Yeah, I like that
0: movie. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I guess it, it doesn't quite... I mean, it definitely doesn't hit the same tone, right? Like, I don't know if Venom was trying to be funny, but, like, very rarely was it funny. But I don't know. Like, I, I maybe they just chose the wrong director for the tone they were going for. I'm not 100% sure. But this movie isn't funny. It's not that dramatic. And ultimately, just falls really flat. Like a turd in the wind, as, <laughs> as Venom himself says.
1: Yeah, I feel like every single critic is using that, like, as their criticism of
0: this movie. Um, well, you know, when you have a line, on-liner. yeah, I mean, when you have a line as as yeah, quotable they, as like a turd in the wind... They really walked right into that one. You're yeah. right about that. If your movie's not good, it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna get that thrown back at it. Fair enough. All right. Well, I think moving on from the movies we've discussed... This week. Let's talk a little movie trivia showdown. We didn't get the chance to talk about it last time, so it's been a little while. But, Scott, what would you like to talk about today?
1: Yeah, well, so, I mean, I think the big talking point right now is the Anarchy Tournament. That's really been going on. We're getting to the end of the first round. Um, I think this week we'll finish off the first round. Um, I have to say, you know, I love this setup for this tournament. um, But I think some of the matches have been a little under underwhelming um mm-hmm. like we've had knockouts but we've had tkos in a lot of matches only like like the best match we had clearly was this match we had last friday which maybe we can talk about a little bit more between um the team of whitney Seidbold and mark edward hewitt uh the movie geek making his debut in the showdown against uh Breanne chandler and uh drew mcqueenie going by the name of take the cannoli which i love the godfather reference there um I think, you know, this is a matchup which obviously jumps right off the the bracket from the beginning. I mean, you know, Brienne and Drew are obviously great players who have, who have been in the Schmodown for a while. Whitney is someone who's only played in teams, but in teams has showed he had a lot of knowledge. I think he's kind of an under-the-radar player. And, of course, with Mark-Edward Hewick, sure, he's making his debut in the Schmodown, but, like, this is – you can find – you will find, you will rarely find a, a debut competitor in the Schmodown with the kind of – um, experience, experience with movie trivia that Mark Edward Huick had with being on Beat the Geeks. Uh, yeah, so this was a great match though, and it, it came down to the final question. Um, I told you that I was a little disappointed in the final question. It was a Westerns question, so that is one of my stronger categories, I would say, but I think for a Westerns question, so the question was basically, who directed Rio Bravo?
0: Um, one of the I most famous are, westerns of all time. Exactly, it
1: is one of the most <laughs> famous westerns, and not only that, but like when you're talking about classic westerns, you know, if you, there are two names which basically you're going to think about when it comes to directors, John Ford and Howard Hawks. And really, most of the time, especially in the Down, if you pick one of those, you're probably going to get it. You have a 50-50 chance of getting it right. Um, and so, I think that for a westerns question, it was that. It was honestly a two-pointer, maybe a three-pointer. Certainly not a five-pointer. Um, so I was a little disappointed that such a competitive match, just a match that was played at such a high level, and um, we had Whitney get a perfect round. Um, everyone else played a really strong match, including Breanne, who I think didn't have the strongest match, her last team match when she played uh, in the title match. Yeah. Uh, but I think she had a fantastic match, complimented Drew really nicely, stealing some of the Julia Roberts questions that Whitney and Mark missed, And so, you know, I think all around the board it was such a great match that I was a little disappointed to see it come down to a question like that. But ultimately, I think, you know, you can't say, you certainly can't say that Drew and Rhiann didn't deserve to win, just as, you know, you couldn't have said that Whitney and Mark didn't deserve to win if they had come out on top. I think it's disappointing for Whitney and Mark. The matchup that they got was really tough because I think they could have taken out a lot of the other teams in the tournament based on what we've seen. Who are some other teams that have jumped out to you, though?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, some of the ones that are, like... So, I mean, considering I predicted them to win, it's not going to be a surprise. But, like, the odd couple who are, are my picks to win the tournament had really stood out to me. I thought that, you know, the storylines are what they are, right, between Marco Draco and uh, Jeff Snyder. But, like, undeniably, they are a good team. They are so knowledgeable. Obviously, Jeff Snyder doesn't have to prove anything. He's team champion for over a year. And you can say the same for Marco Draco, who's had a fantastic year in singles. And so, I mean, they're a team that I think performed really strongly. I really like Kalinowski and Chance, who, I mean, had their wide release last Friday as well, along as the undercard to the, take the cannoli and, uh, oh gosh, what's the team name? Uh, Oh, Self-Righteous Brothers. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and they were the undercard for that, and they played a team that was kind of a, like, was kind of a softball, um, in terms of at least what you would have expected, as it's Silva Strini and um, the guy from the Kingsman, whose name is escaping me right now. Um, anyway, they, they, that matchup ended up being a lot closer. Devon Stewart. In, Devon Stewart, yes. Uh, and that matchup up being a lot closer, in part due to the wheel round, which you can see often turn a match. You know, you got Will Smith for uh, one side, there's a strength of Devon Stewart's, and then you know had a little bit of a tough time uh, for uh, Chance and, and KO with was it dramas? I don't even know. I don't know what they got. Uh, I can't remember. But they struggled, they grinded their way through it and they outlasted them in the end. But I, that that was another example of what I thought was a good round 1 match because you're right, ultimately, you know, this was a first round of, you know, pitting the big like the higher profile teams against the smaller the, t- the teams of of lesser repute. And we've had no upsets really. And we've had no real upsets, you're right. And you know, we're going to see that kind of I think we're really going to see things kick off in the second round here at right? the you know the last eight teams cuz you know with the exception of I, I know Matt Achitty is well regarded in the Shemadam, but probably like the weakest team left right now tell me if someone else jumps out in your mind is probably the Paddington 2, between him and Duralde you know I'm going to disagree with that just
1: because I think I mean probably my own bias is coming in cuz that's the team which I said from the beginning I'm rooting for I really loved I really love uh, both Matt and Alonzo, especially mm-hmm. Alonzo. I think he's a great film critic. Been watching his um, reviews for a long time. But I think that, you know, I-, I think they had a strong match. And they scored, I think, 21 points without even having to answer a final round question. Um, so I think that, I-, I don't think that they're a team to be trifled with. Honestly, I think if we're looking at a weak link, I might actually look at um, at Chance and KO. Okay. Um, just because they did struggle through that second round. I think Chance had a good round one, but, you know, round one is the easiest round. Um, and I think had they gone up a, against a more difficult opponent, they might have not made it out of that first round. And, you know, even going up against an opponent that wasn't terribly difficult, um, because they went up against, yeah, they went up against Devon and Rachel Silvestrini, and, like, basically, you know, sure, Devon had will smith rounds and he will smith movies and he had a great round but like still like you know it came down to like the final two questions for for ko and chance i believe uh-huh. um and honestly i don't think they should have been even with the will smith rounds and movies i don't think that they should have kept left uh, had let it get as close as it did um so i don't know i feel like right now you know snyder and draco obviously really strong team i mean mark riley and ben bateman
0: yeah out uh, I, they did. I, think, I, I will be interested when they don't get a round two or when they get around to two that's not a, their strength how they fare, but yes.
1: Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think the, the other side of what we're talking about with the fact that there are no upsets is, like you said, that probably means the second round is going to be a banger because it's all really exactly. qualified teams. It's like, all, it's all, you know, it's all the, the top people. And of course, we haven't even talked about Roka and Merle who, yeah. who won the first, very first match. Obviously, they're not a team to be trifled with either. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to take on the Paddington 2 next, so we'll see whether your words about the Paddington 2 come true or not, or if they can give uh, you know the old dogs a run for their money.
0: What, what are some of the other second-round matchups, off, if you can think of any off the top of your head?
1: So my understanding was that I think it's kind of just been going in order, mm-hmm. um, so like, you know, the first match was Roka and Merle. The second match was to two, So, them two playing
0: each other. Yeah, actually, um, I actually don't think that's right. I think that the two teams playing each other... I think it's actually Chance and KO against Roka and Merle.
1: Okay. Interesting. They may have changed that around. You know, they change the schedule around a lot with mm-hmm. these two sort of things. I think it it depends on um,
0: what... So, I think the round... Uh, you know, the the round. availability, but... You're right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think that the round two... Um, Matchups are Roken Merle against Chance and KO, Snyder and Andrejko against Achety and Doralde, and then uh, Riley and Bateman against Bibi. That's
1: right, because I remember remember Alonzo mentioning that he knew both Snyder and Andrejko, so he was looking forward to that
0: matchup. Yeah, and then Bibiani and Nost against Riley and Bateman, and then the last match is the one that we still don't know about yet. It's uh, McQueenie and Chandler against either uh, the Wildberries or JT and Lon Harris. (laughs) Yeah, I I want to know
1: what's going to go down at this match because JTE, of course, had a car accident. He's been in the hospital. I heard some word that he um, was not going to compete if this team advanced beyond round one. But also the the uh, match this match was supposed to be was scheduled actually for last week, and then they ended up moving it to this week. So it makes me wonder if. They're moving it around potentially to accommodate JTE, like if he actually is able to come back and compete in the, um, you know, uh, subsequent rounds. Because honestly, I don't think they're going to have any trouble with the Wildberries. But yeah, we didn't talk about Viviani and Nost also, but they also had a really good match. Viviani was just absolutely ridiculous in this match.
0: Yeah. Did he?
1: I mean, he showed why he's the champion.
0: Yeah. I feel like I should. Li- I mean, I say this every time we talk about William. I feel like I should like him more than I do. Yeah, no, he just I'm me. That. I, I'm definitely
1: with you on that, but I think it also helps that he has the everyman Matt Nos on his team, mm. who I think is one of the most likable uh, people in the Schmodown. Also, one of low key one of the funniest people in the Schmodown. And speaking of, uh, of funny lines, I want to mention that the the Friday match had some great lines. I loved uh, I loved Brienne yes. uh, sitting at the table with you know with Drew Mark. And Whitney, three similarly similar-ish looking white dudes, and she just remarks, "I wonder if we're going to find out which one of you is my dad by the end of this." <laughs> um, and then, of course, Whitney's comment as uh, you know the other team came out to Steelers Wheels um, stuck in the middle with you, classic one-hit wonder. And Whitney remarked, "Oh, that's my favorite Steelers Wheels song. <laughs>
2: um,
1: I really like. I really wish that." this team could have made it through because I'm a big Whitney Seibold fan and I want to see him compete more because he is absolutely someone who can make noise in singles and he has a very unique personality I think that uh, is something new in the showdown so you know, I, I really I'm, like
0: what he brings I'm, really, I'm pretty sure that Sean Gerber would have been very happy to have been with Whitney Seibold in this. In this I think turn. he would have
1: been happy to be with anyone but Scott Mance, honestly after how that match went. <laughs> it was so uh, bad. You know, Mance is an idol, but like he that was one of his worst matches. He had, he had a shocker as the soccer commentators would say.
0: Ab- absolutely. I think that's the only way to describe Scott Mance's performance in their match against the odd couple. Anything else? You want to talk about the showdown? Oh, I mean we have a ti- um- we have a title match coming up
1: yeah so we have a we have a title match between roca and bibiani um two former horsemen you know one's obviously still in the horseman um and so that's you know there's obviously going to be some some sparks flying I, I mean the uh the confrontation that they had in the press conference after roca won his uh his number one contender match against funny. andrew guy was was hilarious um
0: but it ended so, in so Bidiani throwing dollar bills at, at Rocco, which was pretty funny. Yeah.
1: So we've also got information on the Ultimate Showdown mm-hmm. um, singles competition, which is only going to have eight competitors this year. And we've heard who a few of these competitors are. So uh, Janine, the, I'm, I'm sorry, Janine's going to be in the mini-tournament, which I'll talk about in a second. But yep. um, Dan Merle, Ethan Irwin, Mark Draco um and there's a there's a couple others that i think have been named that christian has has named but what he also names that there's going to be a so for the last spot there's going to be like a mini tournament between i think five or six people
0: um so it's gonna it's, he, there's gonna be five people but one person gets in automatically off the luck of a draw and then it's a, and there's four people left. that's right and then there's yeah so they'll play
1: well they, i guess they'll either play a tournament style or they'll play like a four-way match
0: yeah, I'm not sure which um, to, it is.
1: To, yeah, to determine who makes it through, one of them will make it into the Ultimate showdown. But I think Janine the Machine is the only person who's been named for that uh, mini-tournament right now, unless something else has come out today. Um, but <laughs> I like the way they're doing that. I think that seems like a pretty fair system. And I think it's understandable that they are going to have less competitors in the uh, Ultimate showdown singles, given the extensive you know, run-out that they've given
0: to the Anarchy Tournament. Yeah, so the six people who are guaranteed to be in the Schmodown tournament are Mark Andrako, Dan Merle, Clark Wolf, Ethan Irwin, Stacey Howard, and Drew McQueenie. And then there are five other people, I believe, one of whom will automatically get like the number seven spot in the, the singles tournament. And then of the remaining four, they will fight it out, of which, you're right, I believe uh, Janine is the only person confirmed so far in that group of five people.
1: Yeah, uh, I you know... It- I don't really know who else might be in that group. There's obviously a ton of, you know, great competitors out there. But I I know Christian did say a few people that aren't going to be in the tournament. Mm -hmm. Andrew Guy, Rachel Cushing, and I think there was one other person he said as well. Yeah, Maybe Jeff Snyder. I'm not sure.
0: I think that might be right. I'm not 100% sure. But one thing that I know that actually caused a lot of uproar leading out of that announcement was the fact that, like, Rachel Cushing has not had a singles match in, you know, non in Geekdom singles match since yeah. her title shot loss against Sam Levine. So I don't know if you have I mean, any. I, th- I think that's a good point, you know. Obviously, she does, however, hold the, uh, the
1: title belt in team. So that I, I imagine that probably makes up for it a little bit. But, yeah, it's time for her to get back in the singles ring because she could definitely be someone to
0: hold both titles. Yeah, I mean, some of the people that I would still like to see in that, like, little four you know of the four people left i'd like to see lon harris get another chance in in the singles league since you know he had that epic match with ethan irwin uh i'd also like person on a personal note i'd like to see ben bateman but i don't know if that'll happen um yeah
1: yeah i don't know either considering he just had a shot
0: for number one contender if he had beaten roca but of course he he couldn't beat roca so i don't know if he will get another chance
1: so soon but you know and just had the title match and He's in the ultimate showdown. So and, and and Ethan Irwin, he also had that number one contender
0: match. It so. seems like a safe bet that Kalinowski will be in this little mini four or five person he's, thing. He's gonna
1: surely he's gonna finagle his way in there somehow, yeah, and he will be think.
0: automatically drawn into the tournament without having to play anyone. So. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: that's probably true. He he'll, he'll be the one who gets the lucky draw. Yeah, fighting I, the corruption.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean that that and you know fighting the corruption by giving himself a a title rematch against. Mark, not, I mean, it's not a rematch, a rematch with Marokanopic for the title without a number one contender. So it feels right. It feels like he probably could do that.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I, I think that's uh, thats
0: a good point. All right, so we'll see. Only time we'll tell these things. I mean, probably by the next time we record, we'll probably have all the information we need about the singles tournament to, to keep us going. But for now, I think it's probably time to move on to news unless you have anything else you'd like to talk about for the showdown. Uh, no, I think we've covered all of our
1: bases. Uh, you know, a lot has happened since we last talked about it, but I think we, uh, we ran through Anarchy pretty good
0: there. Sweet, sweet, sweet. All right, a couple news items to tick off the list before we end today's podcast. The first is there's a little bit more information about the John Favreau-directed TV show that will be, you know, kind of the, uh, I guess, the flagship product of the Disney streaming service. Uh, it's going to be called The Mandalorian, and uh, as you might be able to suspect if you're familiar with Star Wars lore, it's going to be about bounty hunters. Uh, The kind of the John Favreau tweeted a a picture with a kind of a mini story, and of course in the Star Wars yellow font, where it says, The Mandalorian, After the stories of Django and Boba Fett, another warrior emerges in the Star Wars universe. The Mandalorian is set after the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order. We follow the travails of a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. Uh, I know for a long time when this tv show was first teased people thought that it was just going to be boba fett having like somehow survived episode six uh i don't know what, what are you thinking about this scott uh, i'll tell you what i'm thinking about it
1: is that i'm gonna be out a lot of money every month if i'm gonna have to start paying for all of these streaming services mm-hmm.
0: um we can have because... a we can have a some like it Scott streaming service how about that yeah. as in like we'll have a subscription for some like it Scott.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, let's, let's uh, split the fair, split the, uh, theme oh, for that. But, oh,
0: yeah, that's what I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I think that, uh, you know, it's a cool idea. I think that, you know, with Disney scrapping the the prequels, or, I mean, not the prequels, but the, uh, you know, the spinoffs, like the Boba Fett movie, which you, you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. I think that this is a, a good way for them to, you know, keep all that Star Wars going. I mean, God knows we have enough Star Wars even without those spinoffs, but I think this is, you know, another way... Uh, a natural way to uh, to keep the Star Wars fans happy in the interval between you know all of the new episodes which will be coming out, and of course you know we're both big Star Wars fans, so you know this is something which is uh, is interesting to me. Even though you know outside of the Star Wars lore, you know I haven't followed as much stuff you know like i never watched the clone wars or anything like
0: that or but, Re- rebels i think is the new yeah yeah, yeah that's the one with they're really good Sam, Sam yeah. yeah i mean those shows i watched the first couple seasons of the clone wars and then fell off the bandwagon a little bit but um not because of quality like issues just because i just stopped watching it um but they're i mean they're really good really good shows yeah so. no I've, i and i have heard very good things about them it's
1: just you know never made the time to watch them
0: like, fair, yeah, fair and, enough. I'm a huge
1: Star Wars fan, so still yeah. Be
0: up and also to make sure Star Wars Twitter doesn't eviscerate me, I am, I know <laughs> that Django. Was, no matter what, yeah. Just be for it. <laughs> I know that Django and Boba Fett are not Mandalorians, but they wear Mandalorian armor. So I just just want to be clear about that. So um, anyway, oh, thank you for that. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right, yeah. Moving on to our second piece of news. This I guess this isn't really a piece of news more than just like I was kind of shocked when I saw this, but I mean we knew that Christian Bale was playing Dick Cheney. And what was originally called Backseat was like a working title, but is now the title has been confirmed as "Vice," um, which makes more sense to be fair, uh, given the fact that Dick Cheney was Vice President. Um, but anyway, Christian the the first trailer was released for for Vice this past week. It was and, so good too. Yeah, and Christian Bale has put on forty pounds to play Dick Cheney. He's uh,
1: unrecognizable. He did a reverse machinist because for machinist he lost like fifty pounds. The man has an, an incredible control over his weights.
0: Yeah, it's insane. I mean, you think about his body shape for something like The Dark Knight, and then, you know, it, what you described, The Machinist, and then going back the other direction for American Hustle, where he put on a ton of weight. Yeah. And then I think he slimmed down for um, McKay's last film with him, which was um, the, big, the Big Short, right? The Big Short, yeah. Yeah, and then also, to this, is Rock- insane. Go ahead. No, 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 I'm done.
1: I was just going to say, Sam Rockwell looks absolutely incredible as George Bush in this movie. Like, even the brief you know, snippet that we get of him in the trailer, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be
0: amazing. I mean, wh- wh- one thing that I will say in, in in as kind of a tangent to this piece of news is that I'm just really excited to have Sam Rockwell host SNL again after this movie comes out and have more George Bush scenes. Yeah. So. Because,
1: he, I mean, it is uncanny,
0: honestly. Yeah, um, but basically, I mean, I was already excited for this film. I'm sure you were already excited for this film, and, you know, so hopefully Sam Rockwell being nominated for another supporting actor.
1: Looks like another Oscar-buzzy movie for sure, like, uh, uh, you know, Like a Star is Born, and of course, you know, we haven't even mentioned Amy Adams, Steve Carell. Yeah. Uh, you know other huge names are in this movie. Yeah,
0: I mean, I I was trying to hold off, but since you mentioned her, I mean, you know how much I'm a fan I of Amy Adams. Say, I'm
1: surprised you have mentioned her. Yet. Yeah, I'm yeah.
0: I'm exhibiting this new thing called self control that I've recently been discovering. <laughs> but you know, you you're you're really a bad influence on me. But yeah, Amy Adams in this so. movie, and then you know we've talked about Sam Rockwell, Steve Carell, who who might be having you know quite an Oscar season. He has this movie with Timothy Chalamet coming out in the next couple months, which also looks like it could be very Oscar baity. And
1: and he has the movie where he is, like, an artist. Uh, or he builds, like, the miniature town. It's called Welcome to uh, Marwan. And it also looks like a potentially Oscar Beatty-type movie where he, he's, like, he's the victim of, like, a brutal attack and he channels his, like, passion into, like, building these little miniature towns and, like, this mm-hmm. town called Marwan. And he, like, builds this whole narrative for all these little dolls and, you know, miniature towns that he's building. So, yeah... Between one of these movies, surely he's going to get nominated for something, you would
0: think. Yeah, I think Welcome to Marwan's coming out like a couple of days before Christmas. Vice is coming out on Christmas Day. And Beautiful Boy, which is the movie with Timothy Chalamet, right. comes out, I believe, <laughs> maybe next week, even. Uh, I'm not 100% sure.
1: It's possibly soon. I know there's like a couple movies with the same plot as Beautiful, or with a similar po- plot to Beautiful Boy. No, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of, uh, of the one with Lucas Hedges.
0: Yeah, I'm it's, not it sure. Has a,
1: it has a similar title. That's the one I'm thinking
0: of. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if... I, I haven't heard of another movie like this one, because this movie's about meth addiction. know. Um, yeah, so,
1: no, so I'm thinking of... There's one with Lucas Hedges, and then there's there's two movies about like gay confer- gay conversion therapy.
0: Oh, God. Do we really um, need two movies the, about it? Jesus. One, yeah, one of them is this one with Lucas Hedges, and the other one has already come out,
1: and it's with... Um, Chloe Grace Moretz, and it's called "The Miseducation of Cameron Post," I believe.
0: Oh yeah, I, I remember seeing that. That's right. Yep.
1: That was I, I mixed them up I, because I think the Lucas Hedges movie does have like a similar title to Beautiful Boy, but
0: Beautiful Man. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's it, but it is
1: something close.
0: <laughs> cool, cool. All right, uh, two more pieces of news to get through. Um, I don't want to spend too much on this one, but I just saw this when I was like just doing a little bit of research on news movie related news items before the show and there's this movie called The Trump Prophecy that is showing in about This isn't a Dinesh
1: D'Souza movie is
0: it. <laughs> Honestly it seems worse than a Dinesh D'Souza movie. Um but it's but it's showing in like more than a 1000 cinemas in the US. And the like it, it is like a sort of documentary like movie it sounds like. I'm not 100% sure I didn't research it that much. But the like the linchpin of the movie is that the Trump's 2016 election win uh, essentially, I, I'll rephrase it, sorry The, the movie essentially just like it, it argues that God chose Donald Trump to restore America's moral values And it was a divine victory The 2016 election Wow uh, And this is showing a thousand cinemas in the US Like there aren't, it would actually oh, I looked I'm at this guessing, number recently. I'm guessing none of them are north of the Mason-Dixon line <laughs> I don't know I think I wouldn't be surprised if a couple Are shown in like rural areas in New England They're pretty pretty yeah. red
1: That's true. There's some, like, weird areas in, like, the New England area that are, like, super conservative on that.
0: But, like, a thousand cinemas is a lot. There aren't that many theaters in the U.S.
1: So this is, like, is this a documentary, or...? Uh,
0: I think it's it's filmed like a documentary, yeah. Gosh,
1: I want to know exactly what their evidence is.
0: Okay, actually, no. I'm... I'm taking it back, I don't think that it is a documentary. I think it's actually like a... So someone is playing Trump? No, okay, so, okay, just I just looked up kind of a, a plot synopsis here, or uh, kind of a lead in. Uh-huh. It says that the theme of the Trump Prophecy, uh, or this is the theme of the Trump Prophecy, a movie telling the story of Mark Taylor, a former fireman from Orlando, forced to retire after suffering from PTSD. Between graphic nightmares featuring demonic monsters and hellish flames, Taylor receives a message from God in April 2011 while he's surfing television channels. As he clicked to an interview with Trump, Taylor heard God say, quote, you are hearing the voice of the next president. And so it came to pass, although it took another five years in a national prayer campaign. Taylor duly wrote a book called The Trump Prophecies, The Astonishing True Story of the Man Who Saw Tomorrow and What He Says Is Coming Next. So it is sort of like a non-fictional account. But it's this
1: Okay, Okay, so, I mean, until you said it was based on the book, I was like, this sounds
0: like a satire. It, I wish it were that dire. It oh my is gosh, not. it is not. All right, we're gonna move on from that though, and end yeah. on I guess I mean what I would consider a slightly higher note, and that is uh, Amazon has signed major deals with both Bear Grylls, which is kind of the comic relief of this news point, and Neil Gaiman or Gaiman. I'm not 100 percent how to pronounce his last Gaiman, name. Gaiman, yeah, yeah, uh, the author of you know Sandman comics as well as um, American American Gods. American Gods, which already has a show on. I believe it's stars. There's season two of American Gods actually coming out this fall or uh, over the winter. I'm not 100 percent sure, but um, we'll it'll be interested to see what they produce. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Neil Gaiman personally. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you are. Yeah, I'm not really familiar
1: with any of his work, but I know he's very because I most of his work is you know in the fantasy genre, which is not one that I tend to mm-hmm. be very involved in. As you know, you know I'm
0: not a. Lord of the Rings fan. Um, American Gods is a little bit more ground. I mean, it is fantasy, yeah, don't get me yeah. wrong, but it's a little bit more grounded in reality. Um, yeah,
1: but so I haven't, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with his work, but I know, you know, he's very well regarded and uh, very
0: acclaimed. Yeah, I, I've i only read American Gods. I'm, like, tangentially familiar with some other stuff that he's done just from American Gods, but I really like him yeah. as a writer. I think he's a, he's a pretty good novelist, in my opinion. Good. <laughs> good for him. Good for him. <laughs> I'm
1: happy for you,
0: Neil. <laughs> All right. I think that just about does it for episode 20 of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today? Uh, go see A Star is Born. Yes. I echo that vehemently. A- and uh, listen to the
1: soundtrack on Spotify.
0: I have been. Yeah, no, I was listening to this as I was writing the show notes for today. Um, well, well there you go. That is what inspired me to uh, pull Black Eye or the opening for Black Eye uh, to uh, the opening of the podcast today. So, I hope everyone enjoyed that. Good choice. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Where can people find you on Twitter, Scott? I am at Scarvy Dent. Uh, You know, lamenting, as always, uh, probably won't have any more Indians tweets after this week because they're going to be done. Yeah, Um, you you had a bunch last week. Now I'll just talk about Graham Gano's
1: 63 yard field goal for a while because that basically saved my weekend, along,
0: of course, with my mock trial teams doing well. Yeah, I was going to tee you up for that one here now. I was going to say, yeah, I saw your tweets about Graham Gano, and yeah. No no doubt about it as I think. It doesn't get much better than that, yeah. Got no doubt about it, exactly. I mean sixty three yards, second
1: longest in uh, NFL history, so and outdoors, not indoors. Yeah, yeah. Pretty lit, even though my stream messed up and I basically found out via text messages that he had made it.
0: But (laughs) Classic. You know, I've seen it now. All right. uh, I can be found at S Shelton two zero one three over on Twitter. And you can also find our podcast on Twitter as well, and we'd love it if you followed us over there at at MediaPlugPods. Similarly, we'd love it even more if you checked out our podcast Patreon page. There are a bunch of different reward tiers over there, depending on how much you're willing to pledge to the podcast, and we'd appreciate it so much, even if you only contribute at the $1 level. But uh, you should go over to www.patreon.com slash MediaPlugPods to check it out for yourself and pick the tier that's right for you. If you choose not to support us over on Patreon, though, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts where we'd also appreciate it if you rated and reviewed us, subscribed, shared, all that jazz, so that we can continue to reach a broader audience and grow our base. All right, I've said enough. We really appreciate all of you taking the time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. We'll be back in a couple weeks with two more movies to discuss, Halloween and First Man, the new Damien Chazelle movie. Uh, We hope you'll join us again then, but until next time, we hope you have a wonderful day. For Scott Harvey's Woot, I'm Scott Shelton. Bye, everybody.
2: Thanks for listening.